Welcome to the We as Citizens podcast. Here is your host, Christina Crowley. In 2009, everything changed for my guest, Jennifer Cleveland. She became legally blind due to celiac disease and was forced to reevaluate everything in her life. It did not stop her from living a full life. She took a 200-hour course for yoga teacher training, and that is when she discovered the mind-body-spirit connection. She's also a speaker, a Reiki 2 practitioner, an intuitive healer, a licensed massage therapist, and a Thai yoga practitioner. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're a multifaceted woman, and uh, I'm happy you decided to uh, talk with me today. Oh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, along with what you just said, I before that, before 2009, well, I became visually impaired in 2009. And before that, I was just a normal average person without a visual impairment. I grew up on a farm in South Georgia um, between my dad's house, which was the farm, my mother's house, which was in Athens, Georgia, where she was a professor at the University of Georgia. We grew all of our own food. We hunted, fished, rode horses. I learned how to drive when I was eight years old. Um, I had a, a, you know, a very adventurous, interesting childhood and you know, had, had a normal life. I worked as a paramedic in a level two trauma center uh, where, you know, they made TV shows about <laughs> the job that I did. And in 2009, I became legally blind from autoimmune retinopathy, which was caused by celiac disease. So it attacked my retinas and made me legally blind. So I have about uh, 2,300 vision in my right eye which is about like wearing sunglasses and smearing Vaseline across your sunglasses. And then um, that's in good lighting. In poor lighting, I have no vision. And in my left eye, I have almost no vision at all. And I started out using a white cane and now I have a guide dog. He's a beautiful blue standard poodle that I got from Pilot Dog in Columbus, Ohio. That, that's, that's really, that, that is so interesting. We have so much to talk about. And, you know, but it's been about more than 10 years since you've had to, to change you know, make these changes in your life. Uh, so tell me how, what you expected life to be like back then compared to how it is now. Well, you know, I was like, I think most people, we have this dream. We have this idea of what success is and what our life is supposed to look like. And um, it all got pulled out from under me. Everything that I worked for, uh, everything that I thought I would have and experience um, disappeared. And that included uh, when I got married, I got married less than a year before I became legally blind. My husband didn't want to be married to a visually impaired woman. My, um, a lot of my friends abandoned me. And uh, I, it was quite a rude awakening to figure out or to discover how people treated me as a visually impaired person, as a disabled person. And it was very difficult. Uh, I didn't have any support in the beginning. Um, I had some friends that stood by me. My mother was very supportive. My dad was supportive. But I didn't know of training organizations in the community that would help me. And it took about a year before I found them. And when I found them is when my life turned around. Um, because I, I started receiving the teachings and the trainings, for example, technology training, learning how to use my computer again, my telephone, um, my oven, things like that. Uh, orientation mobility, which was learning how to use a white cane, uh, just independent living, how to organize your closet, 
so that you know what where everything is and what color it is and so you wear the right things how to put makeup on uh how to do everything that we do as a as a human being but how to do it as a visually impaired person so i learned how to do it as a sighted person but i needed training on how to do it as a visually impaired person and when i got all of that then that's that's when i started feeling hope again and I, plus i met other visually impaired people i didn't know any other visually impaired people and, you know, I found out that through them that they were going through everything that I was going through, everything that they that I was experiencing, they were experiencing. It was all the same. And so the process of making those changes, uh, it must have been difficult, but, you know, rewarding for what your life had become. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I basically got you know, just so sick and tired of being sad and being, you know, the five stages of grief, all of them going, going through all of those. And I, and I just wanted to live again. And I, I felt trapped and I felt isolated because the people around me, and this is something that people do to, I can speak specifically to visually impaired people, but I've heard other people who have disabilities describe this. The people around try to protect us you know, they, they try, they want to protect us. And what it is, is it, it encages us. And it, it, um, it's, a, it's also kind of a form of discrimination where everything's dangerous, keep the blind person at home, put them in the corner, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and I, I, I couldn't live like that. I couldn't keep living like that. And so basically, I guess the fire inside me burned greater than the fire outside. And I started just searching for, a new way of life. And with the training and with my teacher from the Center for the Visually Impaired, she helped guide me. And also, I was also doing a lot of spiritual development at the time because I needed some answers. I needed some guidance, you know. And so I reached out to the, my spiritual teacher at the time, and she is the one that actually guided me to become a yoga teacher. She said, Jennifer, you know, you, ne you need to be a yoga teacher. And I had never even thought of that. I'd only taken seven yoga classes in my life. <laughs> so, but, um, but it was, it was the right thing to do. And I, and my teacher, uh, helped me find, um, the best yoga teacher training in town. I signed up for it. Um, it was not easy because none of the books were on audio, but I did it. And that was another learning thing, a learning process was how, and how is it possible that these books are not available for visually impaired people, that any books are not available for visually impaired people, but there are a lot that are not. And, <clears throat> You know, I did that and life started coming together. I started getting happier. I started finding joy again, left my husband. That was a really good decision. <laughs> yes, you know, and got my own place, living alone as a visually impaired person, woman with my guide dog, you know, for the first time in my life. It was like moving out again and starting over all again. And it must have been very empowering for you to be able to do that. Oh, it totally was. I worked, I manifested the perfect place. I worked really hard at doing that, which was in, is in downtown in walking distance to, you know, shops, restaurants, lots of outdoor entertainment and adventures and two bus routes. So I have freedom. I have independence, um, not as much as a sighted person, not as much as someone who owns their own car, but at least I'm not trapped in a home that's yeah. isolated, that has no sidewalks, you know, where I'm being left at home by myself. 
uh, things like that. I can do more of what I want to do um, than I, I could before. You talked just briefly about this um, uh, with us before uh, we started recording, but what are the some big assumptions uh, that people who do not know you make? Well, a lot of people assume that I'm visually impaired from birth. They, uh, that's what most people think happens. And actually most people, only about 2% of visually impaired people are blind from birth. Most people lose their vision as an adult actually. So they've already had, they already have their career. They already have their education. So that's, it's a huge um, change and can be devastating. And then others are that I um, don't have a life of any kind that I don't use technology. That's a big one that um, if I make a comment on something uh, say on social media, that's something that's, that's big, not just something on my page and I, it's about visual impairment, I'll say something like I'm visually impaired and people will come back and just attack me. How could you be visually impaired? You know, you, how can you use technology? You couldn't be commenting on this if you're visually impaired, things like that. Uh, people seem to believe that we are not capable of doing very much, that we can't travel. I love to travel. I flew to Europe by myself to see my girlfriend there multiple times, um, once with my white cane and the rest with my guide dog, uh, you know, that we don't, that we don't do anything, that we, um, we have to be protected and we have to be kept away. And I live a normal life. And my goal is to normalize visual impairment. I love to boat. I love, you know, water sports. I love going to the beach. I love cooking. Um, everything that you love to do, I love to do. And every other person loves to do. Um, we just need the, um, the community around us to make it available to us and to support us in, in the ability to do it. And you live a really, really full life. And so is that one of the assumptions or as you said, protections kind of crosses over into um, not just ignorance, but discrimination? Well, definitely work, definitely work because I have tried, I've applied for jobs, I've applied for positions and the response is, oh, it's too dangerous. Um, I was refused a job in one place because they said I would be a liability, uh, which is not true. The actual, the federal government actually has protections for if you hire a disabled person, under workers' compensation, things like that. They actually, um, there's benefits. There are benefits to it, to hire a disabled person. But, but what they were talking about was just flat out not true. It was not dangerous. I am not a liability. And, or that I'm not capable of doing the job because they have these beliefs that um, I'm not capable of using technology or something like that, or that they would have to make so many modifications to their facility that it would be um, price prohibitive to hire me. And that's not true either because yeah. Division of Blind Services, if they had to do anything, Division of Blind Services would, would give it to them. So, you know, they, they, would, they would be covered. They would receive all kinds of benefits, all kinds of wonderful things, and they would get me. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Uh, a dedicated, you know, really smart woman they, they're missing yeah. out on. <laughs> Thank you. And so tell us about your life today. You, you do a lot of things and you teach yoga, you do a lot of really awesome things. And how is today different than the life that you had before being a paramedic. And I'm sure people think that, let me just go into this. 
people probably think the life you have today is not as good as what you had before, but to me, it looks pretty damn awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, there are still a lot of things, you know, I have to check myself regularly because I do miss that life that I had certain aspects of it, mostly being able to drive and being able to freely do what I want and go where I want, when I want, without relying on getting a ride, without paying an arm and a leg for Uber or without waiting for a bus. Um, transportation is huge. And if we could do anything for our disabled people in this country, it would be provide better transportation. That is the equalizer, I believe, is if we just had better transportation. So that's very different. And that is that holds me back a lot a lot. Um, another thing is, this is something that is very interesting. So I live in downtown where we have street parties, street festivals. When I was sighted, I would go downtown and I would see and speak to no less than 20 to 30 people that I knew, no less than, uh, constantly, hey, Jennifer, things like that. When I go downtown now, I may have one or two people walk up to me and say, hey, Jennifer, it's so-and-so. Maybe, maybe. So what happens now is people ignore me. And my friends notice this is, um, you know, people will walk by and they'll talk to my neighbor. They'll talk, you know, things like that. And, but they ignore me completely. And um, they ignore me when I'm out. And unless they want to talk to me about my guide dog and, but then they don't, that's all they want to talk about. And then they leave things like that. So I'm, um, yeah, it, the, the biggest changes would be that. And then of course, you know, the uh, people, how people underestimate me, I guess, and my abilities, yeah. my abilities. Yes. So, but uh, you know, life is, is different in the fact that in the sense that, um, I do need assistance with some things, uh, you know, with doing some things that I used to be able to do just because it's purely visual. Um, but other than that, you know, I just found out how to live life and still have fun um, as a visually impaired person, because that's what it's all about anyway, is adventure and experience, you know? Yeah, because you, you do do a lot of interesting things that are still in the the realm of not taking care of people, but being, going from a paramedic to yoga teacher, you're still, you're helping people. Yes. And the other things you do with uh, your uh, massage therapist, your, and your Reiki practitioner, your, the healing you do, it is in the realm of, of helping people. Absolutely. And before that, I was a personal trainer. So my whole life has been in healing and, and helping. And I believe that the personal training and the paramedic is what prepared me for for here for now because all of the I use all of that information for everything that I do now with um the intuitive healing and the medical I do some medical mediumship um a little bit not you know not a lot but um all of all of that prep has 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 brought me here today and and benefits me and my clients today yeah we talked about this a little bit before too is people what is it you think about for the friends that you had in the past where they don't acknowledge you, they don't say hi to you, that they aren't your friends anymore. Not that it, maybe it kind of matters to somebody who 
might be going through this with somebody yeah. who's oh, it has a friend who's become yeah. disabled, but how it might help somebody who is going through it go see themselves and go, maybe I don't have to do that because you are still Jennifer. Yeah, and we all change in life. So what is it you think that they may be going through? And if somebody sees themselves, how do they acknowledge that and not, yeah, change? How do they change? So, so what I learned when I was taking classes with Brevard Association for the Advancement of the Blind, uh, because I was talking about this and how, you know, my friends were turning on me and a lot of them stopped returning my phone calls <clears throat> and, um, how people were responding. Now, of course, I was in the stages of grief too. Yeah. And especially if you go through an anger phase, uh, someone in this, in the anger phase is hard to deal with. And um, sometimes you have to pull yourself back. I know I pulled myself away. <coughs> Sorry, <clears throat> let me get a sip of water. Okay. <clears throat> allergies. I don't know. I taught yoga <laughs> in the park this morning. And so ah. my allergies were flared up. <clears throat> So, but I know when um, I have someone who's going through the anger stage, you know, I pull away too, because that can be, a, you know, that's just harsh sometimes yeah. and you can't get through to them. They got to get through it. And then when they go somewhere else and you can come back in. But um, so what they told me was the reason this happens with visually impaired people, with disabled people, with people who are suffering with cancer, healing from cancer, things like that is that it makes them, that person uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And so they can't say, I don't wanna be friends with Jennifer anymore because she's blind. So what they have to do is make me the villain. So they have to turn around and be, and say something like, oh, well, I've done something, you know, I'm, I, you know, can't be dealt with, or I'm unreasonable, or I'm this, or I'm that. And so that's what happened because that was very confusing to me and very hurtful to me. Um, why that happened. And, and I was also told that, you know, I just had to relax because other people didn't understand. So it was okay for them to be mean to me. And it was okay for them to disrespect me and to hurt me um, because they didn't understand. So I had to be okay with it. And that's just not the case. Um, you know, what I tell people to do when they're dealing with somebody with going through either healing from uh, something like cancer or, ha or has they become disabled or they've had something terrible happen to them, you know, just say, like one, what one of my friends did was just said, you know, I'm sorry you're going through this, Jennifer. I hope I want to be able to help you. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to try to be supportive. If I do the wrong thing, I want you to tell me because it's never my intention to hurt you. It's never my intention to offend you. I'm going to do my best to lead from my heart. I'm going to mess up. I want you to tell me because I want to be there. I want to be there for you. I love you. You're my friend and I want to support you. And most, most people didn't do that, um, you know, but good riddance. I mean, I don't need them anymore. They're, we're not on the same wavelength now anyways. Yeah. Uh, but back then it was fine. It was great. And I look back with very fond memories. We had great experiences, but mm -hmm. the ones who are right for me, you know, forever are still here. Yeah. And so anybody that goes through anything like that, you're going to, it's going to clear out the riffraff. It is going to clear them out. It will. And that's okay. It's going to hurt, but it'll be okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have experiences like that, but it's just not so sudden and with, with all of our support system. Yeah. And 
you know, for some people who are kind of like, I don't know what to say. Is it okay for them just to say to somebody who's, for anybody who's going through anything in their life, I just need some space right now. And is that just okay? I need some space right now. Is that a simple, what is a simple thing for somebody to say who uh, maybe wants to be there, but doesn't know if they can handle the changes in your friendship? Yeah. I mean, obviously we all have to do what's right for us. Um, you know, I, I, I guess it's just because, you know, I probably, I know I wasn't as good a person as I am now before this, this is, this has forced me into evolution and, um, I've taken a hard look at myself and done a lot of self-study. And as a yoga teacher, it's our job to do self-study. So, you know, for me, I try to step back and say, you know, I remember how painful that was when I tried to just call my friend and nobody would answer and I had nobody to talk to, you know, when my friends were going out and I would see it on social media that they're all out at our favorite place, but nobody called me, you know, nobody came and got me and things like that. And so instead, I think, you know, even especially if we're going through something rough, we have text messaging. It's just that simple, you know, step back and say like, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you. Just let you know, I'm thinking about, yeah, I'm going through some stuff right now, but I'm thinking about you and I'm going to, you know, try to get myself balanced and then I'm going to be back to support you, you know, but I love you and I'm thinking about you. Um, you know, I've gone through some stuff with friends where terrible stuff has happened and well, and, and in family, And I had to, it was so shocking that I did kind of have to, I had to step back and it was just so shocking. And I probably now in hindsight, I was like, oh, I wish I could have responded better. You know, I wish I could have shown up better, but it was such a shock. Like, for example, for example, my middle brother, his son killed himself. When my brother called me and said, my son is dead. I, my response was, oh my God, what happened? Um, and he told me and I was like, okay, who are you with? And he told me and I said, okay, okay. Um, and I said something like, okay, uh, thank you for letting me know. Um, let me know what's going on. And, and, and then I had like, I hung up. I can't remember what it was. I was like, I- I'll let you go. I'll call you. And then I just sat in shock and I wish I could have responded differently. Like, oh my God, I'm here for you. I'm, you know, any of that stayed on the phone with him as long as he needed, but it was the shock of it that set me back and I had to take it in, but then I, I gathered, I gathered and I called back, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have to have, we have to show grace for everyone, right? We should, we should show grace for everyone, not trying to should people, but we should. Um, and we all, we're all responding to things differently. So, you know, I don't really have a good answer for that, except that we all have to do the right thing for ourselves. And as often as possible, try to step mm-hmm. out of yourself and try to think of that other person And that if they're going through this, they probably need a hug. They probably just want to know you're thinking about them. They probably, you know, what can I do for you? I can't do much, but these are some things I could do. You know, do you want me to pick you up groceries? You know, that kind of stuff, you know. So I think as long as you come from the heart, uh, well, even if you come from the heart, people, some people are still going to misunderstand, but just come from the heart. And then that way you can, you can sleep easy. (laughs) Well, I think that's with every hard time that, everybody goes through. I don't think that's just for, you know, your particular streaks. I think you like, you talked about your brother's experience of losing his son to suicide, you know, those kinds of, of hard experiences, you know, grace is the best option. And 
and doing our best. And you called them back and you did your best. Yeah, I think that's it. We don't always, in my experience, we usually mess up the first time. Yeah. The first time we are faced with an incident or with an experience, we usually, we're going to screw it up. And then, you know, the second time we get a chance to do better. And then the third time we usually, you know, hopefully get it right if we're paying attention at all, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, and, if, you know, if that person, if you, it's our job to just try to be, try to be reasonable. Yeah. You know, I, what I noticed, one of the things that I, I, I learned um, through this process and through my spiritual development was when people retreat, when, as soon as someone starts to retreat, let them, you always want to let people retreat with dignity. And so even though, even when I go out and I say I face a restaurant and they tell me they're not going to let me in because of my guide dog, things like that. And I have to go toe to toe with them and I have to threaten to call the police and do all that kind of stuff. As soon as they back down and they start being nice again, it's over. We're done. Yeah. You know, just let people retreat with dignity. And that goes for pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, that's pretty powerful. I can think of a few instances in my life. <laughs> it should do that. Yeah. It's uh, worth learning. So you have this, you know, big, wonderful life right now that you've worked very hard for. And I think that that would be with a sighted person or not. And um, so what would you, what, this is one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, when people are uh, talking about you or referring to you or referring to your disability, what were those words you like to be? Oh, what do I want to be called? Yeah. Um, just visually impaired or legally blind. So the umbrella is visually impaired and underneath the umbrella is blind or legally blind. Um, and I could even be getting those terms kind of mixed up a little bit, but I'm technically blind. I mean, you could call me blind and that would not be wrong, but I have found that it confuses people when I say, um, that I'm blind because then they go, Oh, well, it looks like you've got some vision. I was like, yeah, I have functional vision. So I just usually just say visually impaired um, is if you're in front of me, if I call on the phone, I just say blind, <clears throat> but um, yeah, so that, that's it. Legally blind is good. Cause that seems to be the biggest misunderstanding of people with you is, and with people who are, are visually impaired, the, the varying degrees of being visually impaired uh, or legally blind. Yes. Most people are, have functional vision. Uh, only about, I think it's about 2% are totally blind. And so most people, most people don't use a cane or a guide dog. They have enough functional vision to where they can maneuver fairly safely. Um, they can't drive. Um, they may need a sighted guide with them for help. They may need to have you read the menu to them. They may need some changes and modifications to their technology, but they have enough functional vision to where they just get, they, they get around just fine. Um, that is the typical visually impaired person in the next level, you know, would be someone who starts to use a cane or something like that. But there's so many different, it's just incredible. The differences. I mean, it's just like the way we look every uh, faces, you know, what you can see. And we know this, we know this just with eyes anyway, what you can see is so different than what another person sees. Even if you have 20, 20 vision, people see colors differently. You know, they see events differently. Everything yeah. is so different. And so there's some people, I have a friend, she has retinitis pigmentosa. <clears throat> she, so it's tunnel vision. So she's got no peripheral. It comes in. Her vision is like us looking down a straw. That straw in that straw is 2020. She reads the menu to me, but she can't see anything else. She has no peripheral vision at all. And so there are a lot of people like that. 
and there's there are a lot of people with no central vision they have great peripheral you know it's just or there's me that's just smudgy you know <laughs> you know it's it's yeah it's it, there's just no way to know so oh that brings back to wanting to when you which you were asking um like how to communicate with and what do you call and stuff like that one of the things is like when you are assisting a visually impaired person say at work or you meet a visually impaired person it's okay to say you know just so that I know how to help you and, and how to behave around you um you know uh how do you have any vision is what I usually say and they'll say yes I have whatever and there you go okay um do you need me to to guide you do you need me to help you with anything or are you good or should I just wait till you ask things like that and that's usually that's great for me because um, it's not so much like don't ever grab somebody and start pulling them. You don't want somebody to grab you, things like that. Um, don't just start making a lot of assumptions. Just ask because, you know, we you know, you just want somebody to ask you what you need. Right. So and that's it. And don't make too. It's, it's such a fine line. Don't make a big deal about it. And but just be considerate of their needs. Just like I tell people. Imagine you just, it's a short friend, you know, you have a short friend. Sometimes you got to help them get something off the top shelf (laughs) and that's it. You don't have to make a big deal about it. Just get them the thing off the top shelf and that's it, you know? Yeah. Cause I think sometimes by not wanting to insult people, we insult them. (laughs) Yes. But the difference is, is you can tell when it's coming from a warm heart and from someone who just wants to be helpful. I can tell because I, I try to pay attention and I do enough self study with myself to try to recognize what, what my triggers are and realize they're my triggers. They're not someone else's responsibility. They're mine. And um, so if the person is just being kind and helpful, that's completely fine. Like I had this, this guy, I was um, uh, getting a new kitchen. So I went to see the, the kitchen guy and he didn't know what to do with me, but he was doing his best to be considerate. He was a doll. Okay. Well, as he tried to show me the granite, he was afraid that I was going to run into one. So he grabbed my waist and like picked me up and (laughs) moved me over like two feet. And when he did it and he was like, Oh my God, I am so sorry. I did that. And and I'm like, I would have been mad any other time, but because he was just trying to be kind, he really was just gentle and kind. He just didn't know what to do and he was trying. So that was okay you know, but if you're being a jerk and you do that, it's a whole different ball game, you know, is the difference somebody's willingness to be corrected. Willingness to be corrected is a, yeah, is great. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, when you have a problem and you want to sit down and talk to your friend, if your friend argues and is defensive, um, that's one thing. But if the friend's like, oh my gosh, I did not see it that way. I would never have done that on purpose. I am so sorry that, that it came across that way. Yes. Willingness to be corrected is, is, um, important. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so I know you do a lot of speaking. What, when you go and talk with groups or what kind of groups have you talked about, talked to about all of them? (laughs) It's it's amazing. Yes. So, uh, I'll talk to anybody who asks. I have talked to, um, women's groups, I've done inspirational speaking, um, and, and, informative and educational speaking about the visually impaired and, and in Brevard, my, the county that I live in about the, you know, the, the services that are available. I've done that. And then inspirational and things like that. So I've talked to women's groups. I've talked to, of course, Lions clubs and rotaries. Um, I have spoken to many uh, business organizations on uh, what they can do to help um, 
you know, with their policies for the, dis the disabled and to also kind of bring awareness to uh, their employees about, you know, we need to hire more visually impaired, but we need to hire disabled people and that it's okay. Uh, the last speech I gave was to NASA. So, oh. you know, yeah. And so it's just pretty much uh, anything you can think of. I've, I've probably spoken to something in that field. My next scheduled one is for Florida Institute of Technology for a, it's a young leaders, um, a future, future leaders. Um, I guess it would be I want to call it a retreat because I'm a yoga teacher, but <laughs> what it is, is, you know, all these, these young adults, you know, teenagers, they're juniors, seniors, uh, they go to FIT, Florida Institute of Technology, and they start um, preparing, you know, and, and leadership and things like that. So I'm speaking to them about how to overcome um, tragedies and traumas and how to overcome the obstacles that you're going to be faced with um, in the future. Yeah, because we're all going to have them. I think that's really oh, yes, important. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You, I don't know one person who's who's not going to face something. I mean, that's not what life's all about. We're here to we're here to get through the trial. This is boot camp, you know. Yeah, Let's get through it. Yeah. yeah, we don't escape anything. You know, ours may be different. Mine may be different than yours, but we definitely yes. we all have something, and I think that's important to talk with people and teach them about how to how to get through it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said before, you know, we usually don't face it the first time and, and, and come out shining the first time we usually mess it up, uh, but that's just our lesson. And then we learn where, what, how can I do this better? Where do I need to improve? Um, where are my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? And then you show up better next time and next time. And then maybe you don't get that lesson anymore. You know, once yeah. you you've mastered it, then you get another lesson, you get yeah. another brick wall, you get to bang against, you know, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's life, you know? But each brick wall gets softer, I think, the more you hit them. You know? Yeah. You know, I don't know if it was how I grew up or, you know, in the era or I don't know how I learned this, but I know a lot of people around me have it is that we we think if we lead the straight and narrow life, we're going to miss some. We're going to miss the bumps. Yeah, I think that's a, so definitely a disservice. You know, it's like God's a Santa Claus. And I, I really do not believe that that is what life is all about. Um, and you know, and I, and I had some questions about that. And that's why when I grew up Christian, my, my um, stepfather is an Episcopal priest and my childhood, you know, in the church was wonderful. It was just so wonderful. It was so full of happiness and just the way I think Jesus is just joyful, yeah. passing around the wine. Let's have a great time, you know, and, and let's love each other and help each other. And then, but then when I went through this, this um, challenge, I needed more answers. I needed, I basically needed to figure myself out more. And so I, I became a Buddhist for a while, which helped me to figure myself out and helped me to get myself back on the right track. And, you know, now I consider myself to spiritual. Jesus is one of my main teachers. He's on my altar in the center. Um, you know, so <clears throat> I think that, I, you know, I have a just a just a different belief than some people do. You know, I believe we chose to come here for the experience to face the challenge of being human, which is a challenge and which is one. It's a roller coaster and there's no way, you know, I just don't believe that if you if you just do the right thing, then nothing bad will happen because I don't know anyone who's had nothing bad happen to them and even a lot of really good people. So I think that it's it's about 
getting through the challenge, learning from the experience, um, developing your character, developing your um, stamina, and trying to show up the next time with a little bit more grace. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's an awesome answer. And with our talk today, what is something that we haven't gone over yet? So, so one of the challenges that I've experienced since I've become visually impaired is meeting new people. Uh, and what tends to happen more often than not are the 20 questions. The, why did you become visually impaired? How long have you become visually impaired? What do you, oh my gosh, you work. Uh, what did you do, you know, before? Uh, how much can you see? Wow, you use a phone? How do you use your phone? You mean you text message? You know, all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's, it is actually, it, I don't want to say it causes me to have anxiety because I don't consider myself an anxious person, but I feel a heaviness in my chest when I'm going somewhere and I know I'm going to meet new people because I know I'm going to get all those questions. Mm -hmm. And they're the same. And they're, they're either going to respond one of two ways. They either respond generally with either, oh gosh, you're so amazing. You're such an inspiration. Or they don't believe me and they challenge me. There's, there's not a lot middle of the road, but the middle of the roads ones are the ones I really appreciate. So it would be nice to just normalize visual impairment um, so that we can just move around and not have to be such a surprise to everyone. And one of the things with that is I hear all the time, oh, I don't know any visually impaired people. I've never seen a blind person. I've never seen a guide dog. I am visually impaired and I see white canes out, you know, and I see people who appear to be visually impaired. I see guide dogs. Mm -hmm. So how do you not see them? And I was in a restaurant <clears throat> with some friends and right past our table, a couple walks by, he's got a white cane, he's guiding her, she's got a white cane. So I'm making an assumption that his vision is better than hers and they're being led to their table. That's three blind people in one restaurant, me and those two people. Yet people say they never see a visually impaired person. So I think just looking around and using those functioning eyes, those eyes that work so well, <laughs> look around and see those people around you that are visually impaired, the people who can't drive, that have to get a ride, the people that need you to read something for them, the people who are picking up something at the store and, and looking at it really close. Yeah. Or the person who's maybe walking real close to someone, either on their arm or slightly behind them. Yeah. That person's probably visually impaired. There's a good chance. Those are the people that you say you don't see. We're out there in your community. So I believe it's something like seven or eight percent of your community is visually impaired. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to look up those statistics. I don't want, I may be wrong on that, but it's something close to 10 percent. And <clears throat> You know, we're out there. We're out there. So normalizing it, normalizing it would be fantastic. Yeah, I think normalizing it and not being surprised that you're capable. Yes. Uh, you've, you've always been capable. I don't jump rope, <laughs> but I'm not capable of doing that. But somebody shouldn't be surprised that, I, that right. I've done triathlons. I'm, you right. know, we're all capable in so many different things that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think some of that comes out of, Ignorance or fear or both? Those 20 questions. Both. both. Because 
when you ask someone what's the their biggest fear it's either be a quadriplegic or blind and and a lot of times the response when i start talking about things i do their first response is aren't you scared when i, I ride the bus i ride i ride the bus to the grocery store aren't you scared to ride the bus um i i walk you know downtown aren't you afraid you know it's it's all of that i i love shooting i love to shoot and i do um uh tactical shooting where it's it's like the navy seals do that's the kind of shooting i practice and and aren't you afraid oh my god how can you shoot you shouldn't blind people shouldn't be shooting why not yeah i'm a better shot than you are i bet <laughs> you know <laughs> you know things like sure that so so yeah it's um uh i forgot the question what'd you ask me oh if it's <laughs> if it's ignorance or fear yes people's being i'm okay. um, shocked of your capabilities yeah and then and then of course ignorance too and i believe the blind community has a lot to do with this too and there's two there's two ways to look at this um one is a lot of the problem is the people who are around the visually impaired person create this bubble around them and quote protect them and so they don't let them <clears throat> they don't look for the resources and they don't provide the resources for them. Once you lose your vision, if you don't have the resources, you're not using your computer anymore. You're not using your phone anymore. You're just not, you can't see it. So if you don't have a team around you who is, you know, saying, Hey, I found this program. They're going to teach you how to use an iPhone. I found that, you know, this teacher that they, they, you know, all of these organizations that support the visually impaired, if they're not doing that, then you are trapped. And so that's either, and I think a lot of that, because I used to work in the emergency room and I didn't know the programs existed. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the emergency room told me <clears throat> that the programs existed. So it was a year before I even found them. That's ignorance, yeah. you know? And um, <clears throat> where was I going with that? The blind community, that was what it was. The yeah, blind community sure. and their responsibility. And the other thing is um, the people who are visually impaired. I know a lot of visually impaired people personally and I'm on social media with them and I purposefully use my social media to show what blind looks like mm -hmm. and they don't and I'm not and I'm not saying that they have to I'm not saying that everybody has to live life the way I do mm -hmm. but it would be helpful if the visually impaired people out there would get on social media would go out in the world and be seen you know take a picture with your white cane like, like a lot of times when people take pictures, like I have one woman, a friend who's totally blind. She's incredible. She beats me in 5Ks every time we, we do one. She um, is beautiful. Her hair and makeup is always beautiful. Her clothing is better than mine. Totally blind. Looks you right in the eye when you talk to her. And her pictures are all of her just normal looking in the camera. She never takes a picture with her guide dog. She never takes a picture with her cane. She never does any of that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, stuff like that would be helpful you know talk about and like people i do a, a, a something on social media called adventures in the life of the visually impaired so when i have an experience that is just specific to me being visually impaired i tell that story and then you know people share it and things like that then the, the visually impaired people contact me and say oh thank you for telling that that happens to me and i'm like you know what would be helpful is if you would tell your story and they're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I'm either, uh, they don't want to upset anyone. They don't want to upset anyone. They don't want to offend anyone. 
they don't want to people to know because they're afraid for whatever reason they're afraid of being judged they're afraid of being limited so it would be helpful if the visually impaired community would be a little more seen yeah. and vocal I can see how that would be really helpful because some of the reactions you've gotten, social media can be so vicious, but if it were everyday people, there's always going to be somebody who's going to be vicious to somebody. But I think if we see more of any kind of visually impaired person showing us who they are, uh, it would definitely, you know, it it definitely would, you know, change the conversation a little bit. Absolutely. Yes. I know coming into this, I was a little hesitant about offending you or saying the wrong thing. <laughs> I, it comes from the place of, I do not want to offend you, but you know, I, it also comes from, oh my gosh, am I ignorant about this? And, and of course so, we're ignorant about it. Of course, of course well, we are. But am I ignorant in a way that's going to show? <laughs> well, you know, but here's the thing. Don't worry about that so much. You know, like I say, coming from the heart, people can tell. You know, if you're at all in tune, you can tell. Now, like I said, if you're in the anger phase of grief, then everybody's a jerk. But if you're just a normal, a normal average person, people can tell if you're trying to come, if you're coming from the heart. And so as long as you do that, and we just think, you know, this is a normal person that wants to be seen, that wants to be acknowledged, that wants to be heard. Let me do that for that person in a way that is respectful and, um, honoring then it's you know it's going to be okay yeah yeah and and so I think you know it's been an an amazing uh talk today so tell us about what do you want for your future oh what do I want for my future Hmm, I can't wait to travel again I can't wait to travel again. Oh, I was supposed to go see my my girlfriend in Europe in May and that got can't I love to travel I love adventure Mm-hmm. I love food. Mm-hmm. I love wine. Um, I love my friends. I love to do things. Um, I love hugging people. I, I hate shaking hands. I love giving hugs. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, you know, changing my career a bit because with the yoga teaching in studios and all the body work, it's a little difficult now, you know, with COVID and I don't think COVID's going away for at least another year. So what I'm doing is I, this is something that I wanted to do for quite a while anyway, but now I have the perfect opportunity because of COVID is start my mentoring programs. It's a program, a program that I used to teach for free. um, And I would just sort of guide it and it's called the path to happiness. And it's a, it's a 10 week program. And the most people I had in it one time was were 300 people and it was great. And yeah, it was just a free program I did. Um, And so now I'm going to start doing actual one-on-one mentoring with it. And I'm making it a 12-week program. And uh, I'm giving the options of, you know, either you can just, I'll create the program for you. You can buy the program or I'll create a program and we'll do um, like mentoring online together uh, a couple times a week or months a week, something like that. I'm working out the details or another one if you want to get together and do yoga together, do body work together, that it would be one like that. So I'm creating those programs, which is something I've been, you know, it's been um, in the works and the universe has been putting it together for me for a while. And so now is the perfect time, you know, and getting my speaking, yeah. my speaking ready. I'm ready to do my Ted talk. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yeah. 
And so uh, is that some of the good part that came out? Because I've been asking people what is the good that came out of 2020? Because we can all find a lot of crappy things that came out of 2020. So the good for me was I needed a break. I had just finished school for a year. So I was working, I was going to school and work. So I was working seven days a week. Every day was, you know, nine in the morning till six at night, seven days a week for a year. I was exhausted and um, I was already looking to go on a retreat when quarantine happened. So I got a retreat in my own home and I was able to give myself the care that I needed. I just chilled out. I ate good um, nutritious food. I work, I did yoga. I worked out. I did other kind of workouts. I got my weights out and did all kinds of stuff. I lost um, nine pounds, you know, which was because I wasn't able to do my training that I was doing that year. So I, you know, you know, put on a little weight. So I lost that weight, got in great shape, um, you know, calmed down my nervous system, uh, was able to talk to my friends more, you know, you get to chat more, things like that. And then just pivot pivot the career, you know, make a, make a switch, make a change. So. Yeah, that is awesome. I think so many of us found something. If we look for it, we can find something good from 2020. Oh yeah. Yeah, Uh, So what are you passionate about? Oh gosh, so much. Where do I begin? (laughs) Um, Well, my poodle, my guide dog. Tell us about Uh, your poodle. Tell us about him. Oh, or he's her. fantastic. Him. <laughs> His name's Frank. He's from Pilot Dog in Columbus, Ohio. Um, he, I'll just tell you how the universe um, provided him for me. So I made the decision I was going to get a guide dog. And so I, my teacher from the Center for the Visually Impaired helped me fill out the applications. You have to go through quite the application process. You have to have five written references, two letters from doctors. You ha- They come to your house, videotape you, interview you check out your house, everything. Cause this dog's about $30,000 and they're free. So I did it with two organizations. I'm allergic to dogs. So I'd have a poodle. So two organizations had poodles. I think like five have poodles now. Um, and you know, everybody was like, it's going to be two to three years before you get a poodle two to three years. You know, the wait is so long. The one organization said it would be two years. Pilot dog said it would be probably a year. And I said, no problem. And I said, uh, I, but I knew it wouldn't be, I knew it wouldn't be. And I had aligned myself and manifested the perfect dog for me. <clears throat> and they called me in two weeks, Oh, two weeks. They had the perfect dog for me. Yeah. Yep. And so I flew up there, you trained for 30 days and, uh, I met my new set of eyes and life really changed with him, uh, because I was able to go out and feel confident. For one thing, he's intimidating because he he gives people the stank eye. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> people think, you know, they, they he does intimidate people and yeah. um, which is helpful with anyone who maybe just wants to mess with me or whatever. But he also does um, draw in a lot of conversation, but it, it's it's about him. You know, people just yeah. want to talk to him. So it's when you go out in your white cane, nobody talks to you. They treat you like they have the plague. Mm-hmm. Go out with a guide dog. Everybody talks to you. Yeah. So there's that, but the freedom, the independence, um, the not worrying about getting lost, you know, that in, in an area where I don't know where, you know, where like in, in downtown where I live, I can just say, okay, let's go home and he'll take us home. You know, that's just not something he picked up. Now guide dogs aren't trained for that, but that's just something he knows because yeah. he's a genius. Yeah. And, 
you know, being able to maneuver so much easier. I can go to the bathroom in a restaurant. As long as I know where it is, I can get to the bathroom without anyone other, you know, like if I had my white cane, somebody would have to take me and, you know, everything would have to be done with another person. But since I have him, you know, he is my eyes yeah. and my comfort and my partner. So yeah, it's just, it's huge. It's a lot of work though. That's why most visually impaired people don't have a guide dog. It's a lot of work, but yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, I have two dogs. They are a lot of work just for me. <laughs> yes, I know just a pet is, is work, mm -hmm. but on the level of a guide dog, good yeah. Lord. I mean, the, the constant training, the constant, mm -hmm. the constant um, interaction with the public is really the, the biggest thing. Yeah. People not keeping their dogs back. Oh. You know, they want, it, they want their dogs to come up. Oh, but he's just playing. He just wants to sniff. You know, no, he can't. For one thing, it's distracting my dog. Plus, my dog's been attacked four times. Oh, man. And, you know, it could retire him. Yeah. You know, you, and it's illegal, too. It's a second-degree misdemeanor if you let your dog or anything interfere with my guide dog. Yeah. But, um, you know, and just the questions, the 20 questions, yeah. all of that. But there's all that. But that, you know, kind of outweighs, I guess, the, you know, the, the good outweighs the bad. Yeah. I think, I think that's you know, everybody should have a dog sighted or not. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think uh, every dog is a therapy dog. <laughs> they, they are. They, I, we could talk about dogs forever. <laughs> <laughs> I could too. Uh, so what, what else are you passionate about? Um, I love to travel. I love, um, I love going to the beach and, you know, swimming in the ocean. I love kayaking. Um, I love yoga. I love, I, started tango dancing recently. Um, I love doing that. I started pole dancing recently and I am really passionate about pole dancing Makes and that, strong. oh my gosh, so strong. And it's so much fun. It is so much fun. And I absolutely love that. Um, I love food. I love food, oh, even though I have celiac disease, it, which is very disappointing, but, <laughs> you know, but luckily, you know, we have a lot of options now. So, but I love food. I love um, to cook. I love to go to delicious restaurants and experience things. Um, I love to try wonderful wine. Um, gosh, there's not a lot. I skydived once. I can't wait to do it again. Um, you know, pretty, I love to do a lot of things. I love to, yeah. I love to bike. I used to love to ride a bicycle. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But my, and I hadn't, I didn't do it when I was, once I became visually impaired, but when I went to visit my girlfriend in Germany, she said, we bike everywhere. So we're getting a tandem bike. And so we huh. rented a tandem bike and we went everywhere on that tandem bike and it was so much fun. So when I came back, I bought a tandem bike. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, pretty cool. much if you name it, I probably like it. <laughs> I love music. I love the symphony. I love concerts. Um, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun to, to go back to symphonies and concerts and, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know they're doing a lot of them online now, you know, on Zoom, but it's not the same. You don't get the, you don't feel it. Yeah. You don't feel music, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's live music. is just so, so much fun. And well, we're, gosh, we've gone a little bit past the time I told you this was going to take. And, you know, th it. Jennifer, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to be here to talk with me and to answer all my questions and anything else you'd like to say before we uh, say no off? well thank you for talking to me and thank you for being interested um thank you for wanting to offer clarity and i really appreciate that the visually impaired world 
really appreciates that. And it's we need more people willing to do that. So thank you. You're so very welcome. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The We as Citizens podcast, because conversation matters.